Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Romans 1.18 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. And the uh, advisory committee was listening to this yesterday through Trevor's devotional talk there. It's worth repeating again and again. For I delivered to you first of all, that means of primary importance, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians 1, 17 and 18. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is what? The power of God. 1 Corinthians one twenty-two through to 1 Corinthians 2 verse, uh, verse 5. For Jews request a sign... And Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and, and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, in other words, preaching. For I was determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Here it comes again. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And the last one. Galatians chapter 5, verse 11, where Paul says, And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution then the offence of the cross has ceased may God bless us as we think about those verses in a minute Heavenly Father we thank you that the power that there is in preaching is nothing to do with the preacher it's all to do with the message and we pray Lord please that nevertheless you make us clean channels through whom that message may flow. Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I repeat, my subject is power in preaching. As I, and as I said earlier on, it's a terrible one to have to speak on, because afterwards everybody knows, well, he hasn't got it anyhow. 
But that's where I'd like it to be, because I haven't got it. And I don't believe there is a preacher who has power within himself. I hear of someone in the United States recently who's claiming all kinds of things, and I just hope he doesn't come for a holiday to England. Because the power is in the message and in the Saviour and in our God. Now you'll be hearing the subject, really, the power of God, which is the theme for this United Beach Mission Reunion Conference. But my context then is that of preaching. And I want to explain what I mean by preaching, first of all. By preaching, it could mean what I'm doing now, standing and addressing a few hundred people. But one-on-one is recommending our Saviour as well. There's a sense in which chatting the Gospel is preaching too. And the principles that I'm going to uh, talk about today will apply to any sharing of the Gospel in any circumstance with anyone. I remember Roger Carswell telling me once that he was running a mission and uh, there was a lady who was converted and her husband was very near to being converted. And he was going to come on the Saturday night, I think it was. I may have the facts slightly wrong, but the gist is right. He was going to come on the Saturday night. Then he changed his mind and he decided he would go to the pub. He decided that he'd throw it over, throw over what he'd heard and maybe he'd... He wouldn't worry too much about it. Into the, in the pub that night, they had a stand-up comedian, so-called. They should have come to UBM, it's full of them. <laughs> and uh, this stand-up comedian decided he would take the mickey out of Christianity. So he wore, a, uh, he wore a sandwich board, and on it, it said, Prepare to meet your God. This man read the sandwich board and got converted. By the way, that is not a method of evangelism that we're advocating. <laughs> I don't mean the sandwich bottom for that, but not, you know, not by being a stand-up comedian. On a more tragic note, I remember an evangelist who had an adulterous affair with a woman whilst his wife had just got a little baby. And uh, would you believe there were people who came to Christ while he was preaching the gospel in that backslidden state? That is never an excuse to not walk cleanly and closely with the Lord in the way that Jason spoke this morning. Whether we saw blessing or not, we have, a, we have a, an obligation and a privilege to seek to live holy lives, putting Christ first. But those two things illustrate this. That the power is not in the preacher. The power is in the book, in the message. When the sower sowed the seed... It wasn't a sow with great muscles necessarily, it was a seed that had the power in it to grow. If I want to irrigate a, a dry valley from a, a dam and press a button, it doesn't matter whether I'm the strongest man in the world or a child of seven, I press a button, it happens. Our power is in the gospel. And there's great comfort in that, folks, because you may not feel you're very gifted or very able, and sometimes you may feel embarrassed. And well, how do you answer this question? Keep sowing. The power is in the gospel. Philippa will tell you that very, very often when we go to prison to preach the gospel there, as we shall be doing at Gartree tomorrow, value your prayer for that, sometimes we just don't feel we can do it. We feel so weak, so hard, so uncompassionate, so unconcerned. And we just have to say to the Lord, Lord, you've got two flops here. We really can't do it. Please, please, step in. 
And time and again we have seen that his strength is made perfect in weakness. My problem is not that I'm not strong enough. My problem is I don't realise often enough how weak I am. Now I want to look at that phrase, the power of God. Four verses, and I read from them, covering three situations. The first is the gospel itself. Do you remember that? Romans 1.16 I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Power in the gospel. If you're doing that preaching preach the gospel, the good news. What is the gospel? It is not smile Jesus loves you. I remember Trevor saying to Barry Mould, who we knew from Stoke-on-Trent, who is now pastoring a church in, the, in East Anglia. He was a teenager at the time. He used to try and annoy me by coming to my house for tea on a Friday before the Young Life Bible study with stickers all over. He knew what I thought about stickers. And he also said, smile, Jesus loves you. And I remember Trevor saying to me, you should tell him, frown, you're under judgment. <laughs> I did. <laughs> The gospel isn't that. The gospel isn't your self-esteem must be pumped up. The gospel isn't do this and you'll be successful. The gospel in Romans 1.16 is in the context of the chapter which goes on to 1.18. And I I don't want to spoil the party by being sombre, but this is very, very serious. Romans 1.18 tells you why you have to preach the gospel. Because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Why do we preach the gospel? Because hell is filling up. I'm under God's judgment. I'm under his death sentence. I deserve his punishment. And I need a gospel that can deliver me from that. Don't tell me you're concentrating on physical healing. A hundred years from now, that won't be any good anyhow. Tell me you're concentrating on someone who can rescue people from hell. A million years from now, that will still be working very well. That's the Gospel. And the Gospel is summarised by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 3. I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and, just as important that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Our gospel of the cross is this, that Christ died on that cross to bear our sin, to take our punishment, to take our judgment, and God the Father showed his seal of approval in raising him from the dead. Muhammad is dead. Buddha has gone. Confucius is no more. Christ is alive. And alive forevermore. And what he did on that cross has eternal effect. Because our Saviour died and rose again and lives with the power of an endless life. That's our gospel. Preach anything else and you don't deserve to have God's power in it. Preach that. Share that. And you'll find that God will honour it. It may not be in a great big bang blessing as it were with everybody getting converted at one time. I was speaking to Daniel uh, Daniel Moore down here uh, a few minutes ago. That is an amazing thing, isn't it? We ought to really pray. Amazing! Two-thirds of the village converted. But I also know New Tribes missionaries in another part 
and they're seeing very little blessing. It doesn't all happen at one time. Sometimes it's little by little, sometimes it's in a great chunk and we rejoice when it is. By the way, I'm very glad that when we, on our first, and on our second beach mission at Le Touquet Paris-Plage Mission Vacances many years ago, I'm very glad that those two little boys who went investigating the German pillboxes and decided to go down into it, that one of them threw a stone in first and waited for the gap in time before it heard, hit the water below. One of those little boys was my son Paul, the other was a little boy called Daniel Moore. And bloody survived. And so the people in Papua New Guinea. That's the gospel. It's about the power of God and the context is preaching that gospel. Share it. Make much of Christ. And then the gospel is the gospel of the cross. Now I know that Tim Howlett will be dealing with power through the cross, but he'll be dealing in a far more detailed and personal way than I am. I'm just referring to the cross now in terms of preaching the gospel today. What do we learn about the cross? Well, we learn that this, the Apostle Paul, the great intellectual, the great man who knew how to speak, knew how to argue, whose theological treatises in the Bible are, are beyond comparison, here's what he says. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. The gospel just thought about. Not with wisdom of words. Why? Lest the cross of Christ be made of no effect. You've heard the KISS principle, haven't you? K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, stupid. That was his KISS principle. I don't want clever words. I want a simple preaching of the cross. And he goes on to say why. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. I often use that when people say, oh, what you're saying is foolish. I say, it will be because you're perishing. The Bible says, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. If you think that, you're in a dangerous position. If you think it's foolish to believe in Christ crucified, you better be careful. You better repent quickly and turn to Christ. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the cross that is the power of God. So it's the gospel that's the power of God that we preach. It's the cross that we preach is the power of God. Now, what is that cross that we preach? I'm going to, think, I'm going to concentrate mainly on that this, this morning, so I won't say too much more now, but I'll say this. It is not enough to say Jesus died for you. The modernists would say that, that he died for you as an example. It's not enough to say he died as a martyr. Other martyrs have died. It's not enough to preach the gospel and say, look at the physical sufferings. There's far more to the cross than the physical sufferings. The Passion of the Christ, if you've seen that film, and I haven't, the, that film could never show the most important thing on the cross. When it was covered with darkness and our sin was placed on Christ and God's hammer blow of wrath fell on him. That's far more important than the physical sufferings. By the way, I was in Pentonville prison and I was speaking on the cross and I had a question time from the fellows. And one of them said, Here, have you seen the Passion of the Christ then? I said, No. Are you going to see it, mate? No. Why not? I thought I'd be careful because I knew the chaplain had seen it. And one of the inmates said, he, he's not going to see the film because he's read the book. <laughs> Read the book. 
I'll deal with the cross in some detail in a minute under the, uh, under the heading the offence of the cross. And then, folks, what is the power of God? It is Jesus Christ and him crucified. What did Paul say in the Corinthians? Who do we preach? We preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's Jesus Christ himself dying on that cross in our place and then rising from the dead. That's our power. I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I was determined not to know anything among you, except what? Jesus Christ and him crucified. The best compliment I've ever had made to my pre- about my preaching, and there aren't many, and you'll see, you know why now, but one of the best compliments I ever had was at, Le- was at La Panne in Belgium, when having, I really sort of preached my heart out, you had a good number of people listening on the promenade. The more members, the more team members we get that, on that Lapin team, the bigger the crowd. There's good crowds passing by. We have two open airs each night. We do it in French, they translate into Flemish. So we get French and Flemish listening. The best compliment was a Frenchman who came up afterwards and he said to me in French, he said, Gerard, he said, I admire what you people are doing. And we said, don't admire us. We love to do it. We're doing it because Christ has changed our lives. He said, I admire. He said, but I have a criticism. Well, normally I smile when people say, I have a criticism and kick them in the shin. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I had to put this show on. I said, oh, please tell me, I'm open to all criticism. Which isn't always true, I'm afraid, but it was. He said, you make too much of Jesus Christ. I said, thank you! <laughs> I wish it was true. Folks, I wish I made too much of Jesus Christ. We preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. And who is the Jesus who we preach? The Jesus who we preach is the God of eternity who was made man. Wesley put it this way, God contracted to a span incomprehensibly made man. Our Emmanuel, our God with us, our Jesus, the God who saves, who lived a righteous, perfect, holy life without sin, who went to that cross and nailed on that cross, took all our sin, all our judgment, all the wrath of God against us in his own body. Three days after, he rose from the dead and he lives and he's ascended, he's in heaven, he's coming back again. There's no one like him. There is no one like him. We preach him and him crucified. And that's what the Bible says, that's where the power is. I was with you in weakness, in fear and much trembling, he didn't stroll on the stage with his Rolex watch and his entourage and his sheeny suit saying, look at me, I can slay you in the spirit. Paul spoke, read it, just listen to it. In weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with pers- persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and the power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. There's something about preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified that means when someone comes to know Christ, they're establishing God's power because it's God's saviour and God's message and God's cross and God's gospel. So what should we expect when we preach the gospel? Well, we expect God's power to be released. 
We may not know about it. I remember Ray Lancaster saying to me once about someone had said to him, was your, preacher, was your preaching anointed? Now, those of you who know Ray know he has a very dry sense of humour. And he said, well, he said, I don't know when I am anointed when I preach, but I certainly know when I'm not. And anyone who preaches knows that. We don't always feel it. But as we preach that message, God can work in the hearts of others. Now, that's from God. He gives us his power. How about from others? Well, do you know the, the, Marmite, the new Marmite advert? You'll either love it or hate it. Philippa loves it, I hate it. So you can have it all in our houses. It tastes to me like, well, I won't say what it tastes like, but that's Marmite. I'm not getting paid for a commercial by Marmite for this message, by the way. They love it or they hate it. And people will love the cross or they'll hate it. If you are being saved, you love it. You say, and can it be that I should gain an interest in my Saviour's love? Died he for me who causes pain? For me who him to death pursued? Amazing love! How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? I'm amazed, amazing grace! How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I love that cross. I'm a coward at heart. But I tell you folks, if God had given me the grace, I'd very much like to be able to say, I'll preach that cross no matter what anybody says in any circumstances. I can't say I will because there's too much of Peter in me, but that's what I'd like God's grace to do for me. Or you hate it. If you're on the broad road to hell, you'll hate it. If you don't want to turn from your sin, you'll hate it. If you won't have Christ to rule in your life, you'll hate it. But one thing you cannot do is ignore it. Paul says, I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offence of the cross has ceased. Get this principle, folks. It's an important one. It's the gospel that offends that saves. There is no power in a gospel that cannot offend. Bland preaching and crossless preaching does not bring power or salvation or offence. It probably just brings boredom and indifference. And I cannot understand how when men can stand up in their pulpit and claim they preach the gospel if they haven't made it quite clear that Christ has died for us and borne our sin and taken our hell in his body. I've heard so-called evangelistic message and I haven't heard an evangel in it. I was in a minister's fraternal off the south coast sometime and we were talking about, you know, what is our main message? And they were waffling about left, things left, right and centre. I said, my main message is this, I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I said, whenever we preach the gospel, whenever we preach, we should put that cross in there in case there's someone around who doesn't know Christ as their saviour that they may hear it. I was outvoted, I was the only one who said that. And I'll say it again. I do not believe we preach the gospel if we haven't made the cross clear. And I know that a lot of my brethren in UBM would agree with that. Well then, it's an offence. And it's the gospel that can offend, that can save. It's the gospel that can bring persecution, that brings God's power. If your gospel cannot offend, then you're not preaching God's gospel with God's power. I'm not talking about an offence because you're stupid or because you'd say something silly or because your behaviour is inconsistent. When I say yours, I mean mine. 
I'm talking an offence that the cross will bring because of reasons which I'll share with you now. By the way, you cannot preach this cross without passion. I saw on the television news yesterday the executive of XL Airlines who had gone out of business. His voice was breaking. He was nearly crying because his airline's gone out of business. I can understand that. Should I be less compassionate and less passionate about a saviour who bled and died for me than an airline going out of business? It's not a dry system. It's not a theological dry system we're preaching. I'm talking about the murder of my best friend. It's not just something to cover in a curriculum. We're talking about people being rescued from an eternal hell through Christ's blood. If we can't preach that with passion, then there's something wrong. It's not just one subject to be covered the next time it comes up in my expository preaching. This is a very central Christianity. And what we say should be based upon it and proclaim it and point to it and end with it and whatever else you like. Make it clear. Why is the gospel, why is the gospel of the cross an offence? First of all, because it speaks of blame. 1 Corinthians 15.3 says, Christ died for our sins. And if I listen to that gospel, what I'm really saying is, I am a sinner. By the way, have you noticed how the gospel deals with both the theology and the reality? 1 John 1.7 says that uh, we have sin which can be cleansed. 1 John 1.9 says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The theology is this, I have a sinful heart. I'm born blind, I'm born dead. I cannot come to God unless God through the Holy Spirit and the Gospel speaks to my heart, stirs me, and I, and I turn to him in repentance and trust Christ as my Saviour. My sin is dealt with, but wait a minute, my sins have to be dealt with as well. Plural. I can't say I'm following Christ if I'm sneaking a look at the pornography. It's one of the sins that has to go. I can't proclaim Christ to people like this and expect God's blessing and then gossip about others. It's a sin that has to be dealt with. I can't say what a wonderful job Daniel Moore is doing. And we ought to pray for him and then not consider how I can give sacrificially to God's work. It's a sin that he's dealing with. I cannot say we're all brothers and sisters in Christ and then flirt with the nearest pretty girl. It's a sin that needs dealing with. The cross deals with our sin, but it deals with our sins. And that means blame. It means I have to come and say, I am wrong, I am guilty. And do men and women like to do that? Oh, no. I often say in prison, if I point the finger, I'll take Steve. If I take the point the finger at Steve and say, he's a terrible bloke, that. Look how many fingers are pointing at me. And look who's seeing it all. Thumb to heaven, three to me, one to him. When I talk about sin, I'm saying I'm blameworthy too. Then it's an offence because it speaks about blood. The modernist calls it the religion of the shambles, the butcher's religion. How gross that we should be talking about shed blood. Oh, how, how tasteless. But the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is what? No remission of what? Sins. No remission of sins. 
I'll go for what the Bible says, thank you very much. The blood is only referred to in the Bible as precious after it has been shed. Yet there are those who would tell us that the blood of Christ flowing through his veins was of more use than when he was hanging on the cross, dying, bleeding, taking our sin and our judgment there. We have something that modernism hasn't got, something that Islam has not got. We have a saviour who bled and died for us. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but what? The blood of Jesus. You preach that and God will give you power as you honour him in it. Then the cross is an offence because it speaks of a barrier. There's a no entry sign, as it were, like that cross. It says you cannot get to God eternally any other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Finish the quotation with me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said that. Was he right or wrong? Well, I guess he was the one who rose from the dead, and he probably knows about those things more than anyone else, doesn't he? The the apostolic teaching with this, there is no other name given under heaven amongst men whereby you must be saved. What's that name? Jesus Christ. It's a barrier. And in this multi-faith age of ours, and in the universalism of all religions will get you there, that offends people. How dare you say you're right and we're wrong? Well, I ask the chemist the same when I insist on one prescription only. How dare my doctor say he's right and all the others are wrong? He happens to have chosen the one that puts me right. And God has chosen the one that's put me right. And what is it? It's the blood of Christ that cleanses me from all sin. Nothing else. And then it's uh, an offence because it speaks of banishment. This gets worse. Gerard, are you saying that everybody who will not repent and turn to Christ goes to a lost eternity forever? In one word, yes. I think it was Gypsy Lee who said we should never preach hell without tears in our eyes. I don't find emotion comes as easily that to me, but I hope they're in my heart. I hope I never preach hell unfeelingly. But folks, I am very well aware that person I'm speaking to has an eternal future. He's either going to end up in heaven because he's turned from his sin and come to Christ, or he's going to be lost eternally. It's appointed unto man once to die and after death the judgment. Well, we've seen in Romans 1.18 and that basis of judgment is the wrath of God from heaven against all sin. And yet when Christ died on that cross an eternity of punishment was contracted into those hours of darkness and placed on him when he bore my sin and my judgment and God's wrath in my place on that cross. I could show you two pictures of hell today. One is a place of darkness, thirst and pain. And the other is a place of darkness, thirst and pain. One is an eternal hell, the other is a cross. When God blotted out the sun, his son said, I thirst. And the pain of bearing the sin of the world fell on the shoulders of our spotless saviour. We either come to Christ or we face hell. That offends people. 
But that is the power of God in his message. And that's what we must get across as lovingly, as graciously, as sensitively as we can, but as straightforwardly and clearly as we can. Don't back away from it. It's what the Bible says. Then people are offended about the preaching of the cross because it speaks of boldness. Blame, blood, barrier, banishment, boldness. When Jesus died on that cross, he said, It is finished. That means accomplished, done, put away. It was the cry that the triumphant gladiator had in the arena after he dealt with the other gladiator or the animal. Finished! I was taking a a service in, I won't mention it was a Methodist church, um, but I was taking a service in a church and they were playing the hymns. And the organist came to that one, Man of Sorrows, lifted up was he to die. And then I thought thought the organist had fallen asleep. He kind of came... It is finished. I stopped the hymn. I said, would you play that again, please, and give that all the welly you can on that line. (laughs) Lifted up was he to die. It is finished, was his cry. It was not the expiring cry of a failure. It was the victory cry of a saviour who had borne our sin, taken our judgment, without any sin in his life, who knew he was going to rise again from the dead. Finished. We have boldness. I know I'm going to be in heaven. Because I deserve it? No, I don't. I'm going to be there because my Saviour took my place on the cross and as he cleansed me from my sin, his righteousness was imputed to my account and I'm accepted in the Beloved. I'm as sure of going to heaven as I am that Christ died since I've turned from my sin and trusted him. Does that offend somebody? Let it offend them. I'm glad. The Apostle Paul said, I know whom I have believed. John says, you may know that you have eternal life. Certainty is mine. And in a world when it seems the only wrong thing about religion is to be sure you're right and others wrong, that offends people. Let them be offended. I'll stick with the Bible. Will you? And then the cross is an offence because it speaks of a battle. Here's Here's an offer for you folks. Free food... Three times a day. New sets of clothing. Travel. Companionship. Sports. Education if you want it. No charge. Any takers. Your next stop's Afghanistan. Or Iraq. I know people who preach the gospel like that. Look at all the benefits. Wait a minute. Yeah, but if you're in, in the army, there's a, there is now a cost to be paid and there are brave men dying out there. And if I'm a soldier of, cro- of the cross, the Bible said I should endure hardness as a soldier of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said in Mark 10, 21, we have, I have got to take up the cross and follow him. In Luke 14, 27, he says this, Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Not will not, cannot be my disciple. There are two sides to that cross. There's a cross on which my Saviour died that saved me eternally. But in repenting from my sin and crossing out the letter I, I pick up my own cross. And now I'm saying the evidence of my conversion is I follow him. Not I, but Christ. And that offends because it's the old Sinatra syndrome, isn't it? I'll do it my way. God says, no, no. Do it Jesus' way. The one who said, not my will be done, but your will be done.
and it took him to a cross. And there are times we have to cross out our preferences, our ambitions, our relationships, our practices, our compromises, cross them out as we walk with him day by day. The battle offends. And lastly, it's an offence because the cry of the Christian who preaches the cross is this. Behold the Lamb. 1 John 1, 29, uh, sorry, John 1, 29 and, 1, and, John, and 1 John, John 1, 36. Behold the Lamb. If I believe this cross, I am calling people to repentance. I'm demanding a response. I'm not just passing on the Christian message as a matter of interest and theological discussion. I'm saying, you need to turn from your sin today. Ask God to forgive you and come and put your trust in Christ as your Saviour. And to the backslider here, I'm saying, you need to leave your backsliding and confess it in shame. And that's the Saviour who died for you to be Lord of your life. And the person here today who is not a Christian, I'm saying to you folks, the reason he died on that cross was because he loved you and took your place. You come to him too and ask him to save you. It's an offence to those who are perishing. It's a joy to those who are saved. Preach it. The gospel, the cross, and Christ crucified. That's the power of God. Let's get out of the way and let the lion loose. Let our, let our gospel out and see what it will do. Let's just have a sentence of prayer before we sing our last hymn. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have not called angels to preach this message. Thank you that you've entrusted it to sinners like us, failures, flops, people with weaknesses, hypocrites like me who can preach to others and then go and live in another way. Oh, have mercy on us, Lord. May your precious blood cleanse us from our sin. Would you give us that right spirit within And would you help us please to preach the gospel, preach the cross, preach Christ crucified and risen from the dead. And would you honour that with the saving of souls and the glorifying of your name for Jesus' sake. Amen.